When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right, yeah, our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up. Get your sorry ass up. Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen you before, huh? Man, go tell the coach you need some help. We gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Let's go! Let's go! What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me, your host, Matthew Burning, at Sports Fanatic MB on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts associated with this network, though, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from Sirius XM Radio, Mr. Bob Lung, the award-winning fantasy football consistency guide and the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo, Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others, and you can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We at the Roundtable are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the most advanced stats in football, baseball, basketball, and college football. College football stats are extremely hard to find. For just $15 a year, you can look at all of these. I'm telling you guys, it is well worth it. If you like to dive into the analytical side of sports and or for I use it for prospects, college football prospects specifically, it is amazing. It goes down to the minutest of details in this stuff. And again, it's just $15 a year. If you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you will get 10% off of that, which is a steal of a deal, if I do say so myself, and probably the best deal in the industry. So definitely check them out, especially if you want to get a jump on the upcoming draft class. It'll be well worth your time and money. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is the Monday after the Super Bowl. The 2019 season has officially come to an end. Sad day for sure for obviously all of us football fans and fantasy fans alike, but a new day starts here very soon. Today will be the last episode we focus on the 2019 season as Dennis and Matt are both about to join me as we talk about the Super Bowl amongst other things. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Nighthawk7734 and Dennis on Twitter at Culture underscore Coach. Looking forward to getting this Super Bowl talk behind us as we then will move on to the 2020 season. It is the Monday after a what I thought a very good Super Bowl game, and we have got Mr. Matthew Fox and Mr. Dennis Bennett with me today to talk Hey-o. about that game and possibly some other stuff that happened on the or during the game and uh, not during the game on Sunday. How are you guys doing today? How was your Super Bowl viewing experiences? And I was chilling at home with my wife. I didn't have a line for the bathroom. The food was delicious. The chair was comfortable. I didn't have to squeeze in between two other oafs the size of me. I had a great time. Yeah, we uh, we had a good time, too. Here in uh, Colorado, we broke all kinds of records for warmth yesterday. It was uh, about 
75 degrees, so everybody's wearing shorts. And uh, my wife described the food as a preschooler's dream diet. We had basically a nacho bar, macaroni and cheese, and uh, like <laughs> different chips and dips and a fry platter. So uh, similar to Dennis, not a long line for the bathroom, just some comfy couches and some good company. Very nice. I did a whole lot of watching the game by myself, so it was awesome. I have no complaints either. It was very nice. Everybody left me alone. I got to sit and enjoy everything that went on. Uh, wife made a whole bunch of food just for me, so I got to enjoy that. And yeah, so I'm glad. I'm glad everybody had good Super Bowl experiences. It sounds uh, sounds like uh, we all had a winning experience, like the Chiefs, as they ended up winning the game 31 to 20. Not at all the way I thought it was going to go. About midway through the game, so let's start early on. Um, jump in. It was 10-10 going to the end of the first half, and that's kind of where a lot of the controversy first started here with Kyle Shanahan and the Atlanta Falcons offense, so I'm going to kick it off with that. They force a, I believe it was a three and out, or at least they know they forced a punt of the Chiefs, and Kyle Shanahan decided not to call a timeout with, I believe it was 145 left on the clock when they caught the third down stop. Does If he calls a timeout, he still has two of his timeouts left in roughly, obviously, about a minute 40 to possibly try and drive down the field and score. Did either one of you have an issue with him not calling a timeout? And uh, just to give the, the full explanation here, he did answer a question about this after the game and said that he did not want the Chiefs to get a three and out and then leave a bunch of time left on the clock for Patrick Mahomes and that explosive offense to go down the field and score. So that was his reasoning behind it. What are your thoughts on what he did with that? Yes problem no problem what do you guys think well in hindsight it's really easy to say yes problem but he's trying to he, he knows that kansas city has an explosive offense and that his defense has held them in check pretty much for the first half uh i i think he played scared there i uh, i would have liked to have seen him try to get the ball and score and given how well the defense was played, playing, I think uh, looking at Robert Sala and that defense and saying, we gave it a shot and, and we didn't get it, you guys need to stop them before halftime and don't let them get it now. Uh, I think that defense was up to it. San Francisco's defense at the end of the first half, they had played really, really well. And to just kind of – turtle it up and and not try to get some more points before the end of the half i i think is you know it now he's in the position of he's starting to get the choker label well you know i would completely disagree uh First of all, I, I thought his reasoning um, for not taking time out and leaving too much time made sense. You have to remember, too, San Francisco had actually gone down and they had come back and tied it and then held on to get the ball back. They were getting the ball to start the second half, so they were going to have a good opportunity to go down and be on the attack. And it's not like they just sat there and turtled it up. They took a deep shot that they hit with George Kittle. And that was one of the worst uh, penalty calls. I thought all day they would have had at least a field goal. It looked like they were going to score to close the half. We're giving chiefs no time to answer and then be able to start the second half with possession of the ball. I thought it worked out actually pretty perfectly with being a 
a, a chance that didn't leave them exposed or too exposed to uh, getting a score put up against them, giving them a chance to try and build some momentum. So I, I would completely disagree with the take that they just turtled up and gave up because that wasn't they, – they ended up kneeling on the ball to end the half after that stupid penalty knocked them back. But they did a quick shot right up the middle to get yardage, and then they did a big shot down the field, uh, which they actually hit. Um, and the refs screwed them on. So I, I had no problem with the way he played the end of the half. So then take another shot. You showed you you could do it. You, well, by that point, they were they, they were getting six chunks. seconds. By that point in time, they only had six seconds after that stupid penalty that had pushed them a further ten yards back. They could have taken the same over the top deep shot, but you would have no time left to kick a field goal or anything. I mean, at that point in time, Jimmy G's arms, not strong enough from the 35 year, his own 35 yard line to make the end zone. So you couldn't hail Mary from there. All right. So I, I want to talk about the George Kittle thing. Obviously that was the, what I was going to bring up next, but since you brought us right here into it, why, why was that a, why was that a bad play call? Because by the letter of the law, that was pass interference. He extended his arm. Now in fairness, Kyle Rudolph did the same thing earlier this playoffs, and he did not get called for it in the end zone where the where the Vikings were able to beat the Saints. But by the letter of the law and pass interference, the offensive player is not allowed to extend their arm, and he did extend his arm. And the one thing I will say, because I love George Kittle, he was already open. He did not need to put his arm out on the defender. He had already beaten the defender. Had he just left his hand down, he's still more than likely, I'd say, 98% catching that ball. And then you have no chance for the referees to even call a hint of pass interference. But he put his hand on him and extended, which by the letter of the law is pass interference. Look, they have not been making these calls all year long. They've been completely inconsistent. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the officials would completely F up on the biggest stage. Uh, they let rampant uh, quarterback uh, penalties go. Both quarterbacks were hit in the head multiple times with no f- penalties called. And they call that stupid penalty. I, I disagree with you that even by the letter of the law, that was penalty. He wasn't the one that initiated contact either. That was the defensive back. That was a completely bullshit call. That was a completely cowardly call. And I, I was disgusted. I think that the argument can be made that it, they should have let it play. And I think the argument can be made that, yes, it was pass interference. It, it's I, I agree with what you said, though, Matt. They've, they've been inconsistent calling penalties all season long. And to be in the Super Bowl and to have a penalty that probably shouldn't have been called, uh, called, it's par for the course for this year, but I, and and I think it's going to continue going forward, and, and we're going to be living with these kind of frustrations over penalties that should have been called and should not have been called. I mean, the whole pass interference was uh, reviewable this season was such a punchline that because they just didn't overturn any of the calls. So to expect that they were going to get every, I, I think overall the game was pretty well officiated. That one they probably should have let go, but I agree with the quote-unquote letter of the law. He did put his arm out, uh, and he didn't need to. But but also when you're running like that and you're looking up for the ball, 
you don't know where the defender is, and I think it's instinct to reach your hand out to kind of get a feel for where your defender is. So I don't, I don't think it was necessarily a push off so much as it was a let me find this guy while I'm running and looking up in the air. It was unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see that argument again. My, my whole point was he, he had him beat by at least two steps from everything from the, the play that I remember when I was watching it happen. I was like, George Kittle has this guy beat, and I was surprised in all honesty when they called it the pass interference. I saw, I saw the flag obviously because you had the little yellow flag thing on the bottom of the screen, and I figured, okay, they probably called something back at the line of scrimmage or something like that. I did not think they called it on on George Kittle, but when you go back and watch it again, even if with your argument, Dennis, he does put his arm on. Him, but it's not even fully extended. You don't once you fully extend, you give the referees the option to call that. I'm not saying it was right or wrong. They called it again. I just feel like Kill did not need to put himself in that situation. He had the defender beat. Whether you were trying to figure out where the defender was or not, don't extend your hand onto the player as the ball's coming into you because you are giving the referee you're taking the the decision out of your hands, I guess, and you're putting it in the referee's hands. And as Matt just mentioned, and, and you said too, Dennis, they've been very inconsistent with this. They they've been they've been kind of bad all year when it comes to this pass interference stuff. And you put now the decision in their hands to affect. Uh, I don't want to say the outcome of the game because we don't know if they would have scored a touchdown or even a field goal. Field goal wouldn't have mattered. Uh, so we don't know that they would have scored a touchdown. So we don't know what they would have done to the game. Chances are San Francisco well, at least comes away with a field goal. They uh, would have certainly scored a field goal and it would have been a huge momentum change instead of going into the half tied 10-10, San Francisco would have gone down, hit a huge play. I mean, where he caught that ball was inside the 30. Yeah. Yeah, true. But again, there's no... Okay, so even say they get a field goal, I don't know that it changes the game that much because uh, the, some of the stats that I was going to bring up to, we'll, I'll save it for when we get to the second half here, but uh, I feel like Kyle Shanahan Kyle, kind, of, Kyle, kind of Kyle Shanahan himself again in this game like he did with Atlanta, uh, and I don't, I don't know that them having a three-point lead coming out at halftime changes anything, so... We're all, I guess we're all kind of in agreement slash disagreement here on on the George Kittle call, Matt. I know you feel like that shouldn't have been. I, I don't have an issue with it either way. Like I said, I feel like that, unfortunately, is more on Kittle than anybody else. You, you just don't extend your hand. You, you had him beat. Just keep running. I mean, I don't know. Emmanuel Sanders didn't reach back for the defender when he had the defenders beat. Granted, he was overthrown by like 15 yards by Jimmy G. Uh, but you don't have to reach your hand back, especially when you have the defender beat. Just look up, find the ball, catch it, and the decision's made with. You've made the catch, you go out of bounds, or even if he does go on and score a touchdown, the referees can't do anything about it because you didn't put your hands on the defender. So coming out into the second half, as I mentioned, it, it's tied 10-10. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers get the ball, and we, we really kind of saw a different Jimmy G in that second half compared to the first half. In the first half of the game, it, it's almost like the two quarterbacks flipped. Jimmy G was, uh, I believe, 17 or through the first three quarters when Jimmy G was on fire, 17 to 20, 183 yards, one touchdown, one interception, QBR of 70.2. Where Pat Mahomes was 16 of 25, 145 yards, one interception, a QBR of 34.6. So, really going into that fourth quarter when eventually the, the 49ers get that 10 point lead, 
which was a big deal, as we've seen. You know, we we talked about it last week when I did the pod with uh, with just you, Matt, on Thursday. Even we talked about it, me and you, Dennis, on Friday. We all talked about how we did not think if the Chiefs got down double digits that they would be able to come back and beat the 49ers. I said maybe because of the offensive firepower, but the 49ers are just too good defensively, and with that run game, they will bleed out the clock. Uh, that didn't happen. Surprisingly enough, we kept Dennis. You mentioned it right at the beginning, uh, but I don't remember if we. No, we were not recording yet because we were talking about just the game in general before we started recording the podcast. And you said the 49ers should have ran the ball more. In the first half, they were running the ball a ton. In the second half, they went 20 passes to 10 runs with a 10-point lead. Why? What, what is it that you think, or why is it you think that Kyle Shanahan decided to go so pass-heavy in the second half? And this was after they got the 10-point lead. So this is not like the entire second. They got the 10-point lead, and then they decided to go 20 passes, 10 runs, which makes no sense whatsoever. It reminds me exactly of what happened in Atlanta, where I'm going to mention it right now, this is the second time in the last 10 Super Bowls that the team that scored first lost in the Super Bowl. The last team that did it was the 2016 Atlanta Falcons, who also had a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter. And those, but that team and this team have one common denominator, technically two, because Tevin Coleman's on the team as well, and that's Kyle Shanahan and calling the plays. So what is it that you guys think of, of that in general and what happened in the second half there, mainly the fourth quarter uh, when the 49ers got that lead and then realistically blew it? Well, I had called for um, the 49ers to, uh, to win the game on the back of their running game. And so I was pretty disappointed to see him, for all intents and purposes, Abandon the run. Uh, Mostert was picking up some chunk yards, and uh, Tevin Coleman picked up some chunk yards. It was uh, just disappointing all around because uh, they were able to move the ball and eat up clock, and th- they spent three quarters having relative success with the run game. And then the fourth quarter, just giving it away with the passing, letting the uh, uh, Chiefs have the ball back. Pardon my brain fart there. Oh, um, it was it was just a, it was just kind of a bummer to watch it happen, and just know that that's what happened with the Falcons, and it, it seemed to. So when when are coaches going to learn? I, I don't know. I, th- I feel like Shanahan outsmarted himself. Yeah, I think after the Chiefs scored their first touchdown in the fourth quarter, um, I would be really critical of that three-play series because they came out and had a run. Um, you know, and there were 6.06 left on the clock, and it was 20-17. to 17, And I had told my friend when I was watching with, if the 49ers play their kind of football, the Chiefs won't see the ball again. Um, so that, I, to me, that is kind of – that decision on that drive was very questionable because, you know, they had a strong run on first down, made it second and five. And then they did two passing plays that weren't very good. They didn't even eat a minute off the clock and they gave it right back. And I think once that happened, um, you know, I guess the other thing that had frustrated me a little bit about that call we saw in George Kittle is it seemed like that was the, one of the few times they actually called a penalty because there was a lot of, 
chippiness and hits and face masking and holding that could have been called that wasn't being called. So at that point in time, you knew that it was basically going to be kind of, you know, strength against strength, seeing what was going to happen. Uh, and once, once they didn't do anything on that drive and gave it back, you had the feeling Kansas city was going to be able to go down and get a score. And after that, then, you know, San Francisco is trailing. I would say a lot of that play called disparity started happening after those last five minutes, because San Francisco pretty much came out and had to throw from behind. And even with all that, you know, I know a lot of people were critical of that third and 15 call when it was 24, 20, with him taking a deep shot to Sanders. It was a great play call. It was well executed. The throw was not there. And I saw somebody post um, shots of four different times where they've run similar plays in similar situations that Jimmy G had hit during the regular season. So I don't necessarily play call, but I think it was that drive after the Chiefs scored their first touchdown, it's like Kyle Shanahan got nervous and felt like he needed to press and score or he was going to lose it. And they mishandled those three plays, didn't eat any of the clock, and gave the ball right back. And it was kind of over after that. Now, on those other shots, do you know if they were to Sanders or were they to somebody yeah, else? Yeah, a couple of them. A couple of them were to Sanders because I watched the highlight video. One was against the Saints over the top right to Sanders. I mean, that was Sanders' kind of specialty uh, doing those kind of things with Denver, too. And it's a very similar offensive scheme and structure. Um, you know, and he would, like you said, he was wide open. Yeah. If he would have gotten the ball where anywhere where he could have caught it, it would either have been a huge gain or more likely a touchdown that put them up. So, I mean, they had chances. I thought their running back rotation was a little strange to begin with. You know, Jeff Wilson came into the game pretty early. We hadn't seen him a lot. I'm pretty sure Matt Breed had never played. Um, so I, I don't know if they just had a different kind of game plan, if there was something that they had seen on Kansas City on film they thought they could exploit. But I really think that that crucial drive was when they still had a three-point lead and six minutes left. If they could have run a great four-minute offense with their rushing offense, you know, I think they could have ended the game right there. And that was the drive that those couple play calls I would really – question kind of what were you thinking because i feel like that to me was where i went oh they've lost well see so that's even more interesting to me because i, I get what you were saying and them kind of falling behind and, and maybe kyle shanahan did press and have to throw to get back in it but they were averaging 5.6 yards a carry like like they were just destroying that front when they were running the ball for the most part and it didn't seem like it at times but they were ripping off big runs you just at that point, before the Damian Williams touchdown, which obviously at that point I understand you having to throw the ball because you are. You, you've got to get two scores now. You can still run the ball and try and run the clock out. Like, you don't have to go pass, pass, pass. And that's kind of what they did. And, and I do think that in a way that might have been a little bit of Kyle Shanahan kind of, I, I don't want to say like reoccurring nightmares of what happened with the Patriots and, and him because that's the same thing that happened with Atlanta. 
Third and one, all you got to do is run the ball, eat some clock up instead. Seven, as we've talked about, I've talked about before, seven step drop for Matt Ryan. He gets strip sacked, fumble, and then here we come. The Patriots all of a sudden come back, and then they end up winning that game. So I do feel like a lot of that played into it. But something you mentioned, Matt, is what I really want to get into here today because a lot of people are blaming Kyle Shanahan, whether you feel that's rightly so or not. But does the fault really lie with Jimmy G? Not only on the Emmanuel Sanders play, which I think I would I would admit with what you said, it was a great play call. He burned both of those defenders. You just talked about it. There was other people posting online that he's done that multiple times, and Jimmy G has missed him every single time. My thing on that was he overthrew him by, what, at least 15 yards, I would say, maybe 10? At worst, why would you not underthrow Emmanuel Sanders and then allow the defender to run into him where you get the defensive pass interference call, which we saw earlier work in the Chiefs' favor as well when Mahomes kind of underthrew one of the wide receivers? Or, or not even or, sorry, go back to on the third and five play where they ended up having to punt where he threw the ball, I think, to Coleman. I don't remember who. He hit the running back, but George Kittle was wide open five more yards down the field where you could clearly tell the the scheme was to get Kittle open right there, and he was wide open, and Jimmy G did not throw it to him. But, I mean, I think you and I talked about it um, on Thursday, and we were both in agreement the week link of all those, you know, different categories you break down for San Francisco was – their quarterback, mm-hmm. Jimmy oh, G. He doesn't have – he's a big name, but he doesn't have a ton of experience. And in the playoffs, it almost it seemed like they were a little leery of putting the game in his hand and had really limited his pass attempts. We'd seen him do it a couple of times during the regular season. But, you know, if you were thinking that you had to put everything on – his shoulders to win that game. I don't know how confident you would be in picking the 49ers. And I think we saw that he had some good throws in the game and he had some really dubious throws. I think he started to panic. He got a ton blocked in that third and fourth quarter right at the line. So, I mean, the two areas we thought were the weakest in the game was quarterback for the 49ers and running back for the Chiefs and one of those groups really stepped up and said hey I'm not going to be the reason we lose and one couldn't make that leap Dennis you have any thoughts on uh, Jimmy G not really I mean his his play speaks for itself he's not uh, he's not progressing to an elite status Uh, he's a good quarterback I mean he you have to be to make it that far. Uh, I I think that's you know it it, it showed uh, part of it, it. I still blame Shanahan more. Okay. Uh, you know Shanahan doesn't have four three hundred pound guys trying to hit him when he when he's calling the plays. Okay. Well, since you Matt, you seem to be leaning more toward Jimmy G than Dennis. So I'll ask you first, and then Dennis, if you have an opinion on this. Uh, Feel free to to let us know as well. We talked about earlier. Obviously, this this off season things have changed a little bit, but this might be a very uh very and I shouldn't say good. It's going to be a decent quarterback free agency market. You have a couple players here in the draft. Jimmy G is under contract with the 49ers till twenty twenty two. So you got two more seasons out of him. However, because they signed him so early, which a lot of people kind of forget about, his cap hit is only four million dollars if they decide to cut him on April first. Would you? What would percentage would you put it at that they either keep or cut Jimmy G? I'd 
say it's 100% they keep him. Okay. They're gonna not going to have a great draft pick, and I don't think he played bad enough that you give up on him. Uh, I mean, you have to think, too, if we're being fair, this season was his first full season as a starter. Mm-hmm. He started a few games for them two seasons ago. He started, what, two games in 2018 before tearing his ACL. I mean, he. we think about him as a veteran because he's been around for a long time, but Patrick Mahomes has like three times as many games starting uh, and has twice as much playoff starting experience as Jimmy G. A lot of people were talking about how the 49ers were this year maybe one year ahead of the plan that they'd laid out for themselves. I don't think there's anything... You know, uh, for the same reason as you, you know, I said I don't think the Texans will move on from Bill O'Brien. I don't think the 49ers will move on from Jimmy G. Now, if he continuously cannot get there, or if he takes a step back, you know, maybe another, you know, in another year, maybe you can make the case for him being gone. But I mean, they made it all the way uh, to the Super Bowl, and at times he looked um, looked pretty good. I think it's an experience. Hopefully he can learn and grow a little bit from, and you know, I I'm with Dennis in the sense that I don't think you can put this entire loss lay it at his feet. There were obviously some questionable calls made by Kyle Shanahan, um, you know, maybe pressing too much. So I think that has to be factored in too. You can't, if, if to me, if they released him, that would be the ultimate uh, passing the buck and scapegoating. All right, so we're assuming we all uh, – I, I would be surprised if they cut him, but I, I I wouldn't put it past him depending on who they could possibly get. I mean, I, 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 I hate to say this, but I think Andy Dalton probably makes that throw. Jameis Winston, although he probably throws three interceptions before that, probably makes that throw. So depending on who they get, there's obviously all the rumors uh, about Tom Brady probably going – trying to go somewhere he's from – uh, the, the Los Angeles area was, is a huge fan of Joe Montana, watched him play for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, there was a lot of talk that he would have loved to play for them one day. So I don't know if Tom Brady's really that much better right now than Jimmy Garoppolo in his career. So I, I would think they are going to end up keeping Jimmy G, but it, it's definitely going to be an interesting offseason uh, for the 49ers, as, as they do come up short here, and, and they have a Super Bowl-ready team. They have a really good defense, a, a really good offense. I think really the only player they're probably going to lose maybe is Emmanuel Sanders. They could re-sign him. Uh, do, I guess, do either one of you think he's back, or do you think he moves on in the offseason? Well, I think Sanders is, is you know, it's a good team, and he's got a, a primary role there. Debo looks like he's going to take over, but we've seen Sanders perform really, really well um, as the 1B with Demarius Thomas in the past. So if if Debo steps up and becomes the number one there, uh, I I think there's definitely room for Sanders. I don't think there's – unless Jalen Hurd comes out healthy and takes a huge, giant leap, I don't think there's anybody currently in San Francisco that's better than Sanders at the wide receiver position. Yeah, I think for me it's going to matter a little bit how much uh, Emmanuel wants. Um, you know, if he's looking for a huge contract, I think you take a minute and you think about it. He was a fine piece for them, but he was hardly a dominating kind of receiver, and he, you know, he's going to be, I believe, 34 Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's had some injuries, um, 
So I think that's going to be the, the question. I do think it's a decent fit for him. If I was him, I'd want to stick on a team that I thought had a chance to go into the playoffs and possibly get a ring. And there aren't that many uh, opportunities. Um, but he's already made comments about uh, different places. Uh, I read one place where he's talking about he'd like to be able to go back and finish up with Big Ben and mend that rift. Um, yeah, because he, he famously kind of had a falling out when he left the Steelers, which yeah. I think is weird. But he's always struck me as a little bit of a mercurial guy. So I think he's kind of uh, the wild card there. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up uh, Debo there, uh, Dennis. Uh, kind of surprised uh, to learn that he was actually had the most rushing yards for a wide receiver in the regular season. We obviously saw some of that in the game plan yesterday. Uh, I would have loved to see more of that because he was definitely kind of tearing through the Kansas City Chiefs defense as well, not just in the rushing game, but all, obviously what he was doing receiving wise as well. I was kind of surprised that they went away from him. Uh, any Any other thoughts on the 49ers before we move on to the Chiefs? None for me. Not for me either. I think we got it pretty much. All right. So on the Chiefs side here, obviously the 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 I think the coolest news is is Andy Reid getting his Super Bowl. Uh, I, I openly talked about on the podcast last week that that was the main reason I was rooting for the Chiefs uh, is seeing Andy Reid finally get that ring. Uh, he it's his uh, obviously his first Super Bowl, twenty one years as a head coach, which is the longest streak ever for a head coach to win their first Super Bowl. So he he's obviously been in it one other time with the Eagles, came close and but lost to the the. Patriots dynasty as we know now uh, not so much back then they were but uh, really cool I think for him uh, to do that Patrick Mahomes though did not really have a good game here I know he won the MVP which I thought was kind of bull I thought it should have gone to Williams with the game that he had from what he did in the receiving game and the rushing game got two touchdowns in that game was really good put the game on ice with that last I think it was like 36 yard touchdown run uh, but Mahomes really kind of turned it on late in uh, the fourth quarter. I don't think that says anything really about Mahomes. We all still uh, imagine he's QB one or two for everybody moving forward. Yeah, affirmative. Which one? I want to know which one you have met. Sorry, do you have met one? one. I, I, I assume it's between him and Lamar for everybody. So is he one or two? Where Where do you guys have him and Lamar? One. I'd have him one. Yeah, one. Okay, I like it. I like it. I, the Lamar hate is strong in both of you, and I appreciate that. I think I think the real question is how excited are we to enter another draft season where Damian Williams goes in the second round only to produce 400 regular season rushing yards? Uh, not. Well, I'm just avoiding him, if I'm being honest. It's like, the second year in a row that he's just like exploded in the playoffs, and everybody's going to be like, man, dude was on fire in the Super Bowl finally taking his spot as the Chiefs number one draft him like 204 and then the Chiefs will go pick up some 37 year olds running back that gets cut <laughs> well we're, we're in the midst of the uh the fantasy football roundtable listener dynasty league draft and Williams did not go until 8 11 yeah but I mean if had you waited and started it post Super Bowl I, he had not done a ton in any of the – I mean, quietly he'd had some touchdowns, but he hadn't done anything that would have made you say, wow, like yesterday. I'm with Matt. I thought he was the, the MVP, which feels incredibly weird uh, to say based on what we – he was almost unplayable all, all 
all season long. It's just weird. The guy peaks in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and the one thing I'll say too on that, Dennis, with him going eight eleven, he probably ends up going higher than that because this is also super flex, and you draft your rookie pick. So if you take out, and you're doing I, defense. Well, nobody's drafted any IDPs yet at this point. So like right now, we've seen obviously a ton of quarterbacks go. You don't see we had what I think like eight quarterbacks go in the first couple rounds. Like you're not going to see that. Uh, and then obviously, I mean, just me alone, I think I drafted four rookie picks before I even got, before Damian Williams even went off the board. So I, I don't, he would have gone higher than that. Now he did get drafted today. I don't know if, if, uh, Jonathan, who's a, who's a avid listener of the show and we appreciate everything, uh, he's done. He's been in a lot of leagues and one of the, one of the best listeners I think we've had with, with the interactions I've had with him, uh, I mean, yeah, he drafted so, so. him. <laughs> he drafted him today, so I, I would love to know if that was because of the Super Bowl performance or not. But uh, I, I'm. It's gonna. What's gonna be? I guess a big thing for me. Most people, obviously, are probably not going to draft until I would uh, hope. I, I didn't want to draft right now, if I'm being honest. But uh, we were kind of peer pressured into doing it right now, as as well with another league that me and Dennis, I think. We just finished the draft actually before the Super Bowl started. I, I hate drafting this early because so many things could change, and I'm interested to see, do you guys – Oh, you poor thing. Do you guys think that Kansas City drafts a running back? And if they do, say let's go say third or fourth round. I, I don't think they would draft one in the first or second, especially being the, the 32nd pick. So say they take a running back in the third or fourth round. Does that change Williams' value for you guys at all? I know neither one of you are as big of fans of Williams as I was coming into the year, uh, but how would you guys value him with what you know now? And if they were to say draft a running back in the draft, I mean, even go ahead, man. Even if they draft a running back, how do we know it would? And this was the argument everybody made with Darwin Thompson coming into the year, and he had opportunities to be out there and didn't do a whole lot. I, I think Kansas City is tough, tough to tell. They, they made that splashy signing of McCoy and then had him as a healthy scratch throughout the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think that of the backs they have, it's Damian Williams. Uh, McCoy is going to be gone. Uh, Daryl Williams will be coming back from an injury and so will Spencer Ware, but I, I, Ware will be a free agent. I'm not sure about Daryl Williams' contract status. But they, they they had Thompson uh, in the game, so they were playing him uh, as the backup to Damian Williams. Uh, I Andy Reid has used a committee for so long. Yeah, when he's got a stud, he uses the stud, like young LaShawn McCoy, or I think Westbrook might have been there when when he was there. But if he doesn't have a stud, then he goes with a committee. So. Naturally, I would expect he's going to draft a running back. But in the third, fourth, fifth round, I don't think they're going to make – they're going to rise up and necessarily take over for Damian Williams. I could see Williams going into next year. If he can stay healthy, you know, it's hard to tell what kind of season Williams would have had if he had been able to stay healthy all season. If if he stays healthy, has a good season – you know, it's a completely different conversation we're having here. That might be the real thing. You know, uh, it was hard to tell. Was he banged up or were they committed to using a bunch of other guys? It seems like the way he played 
uh, in the playoffs and toward the end of the season might suggest that he was banged up and that was a little bit of the reason for the decline. I mean, I liked him a lot coming in to this year. I had high hopes, um, you know, because based on the small samples we'd seen in Kansas City and elsewhere, he has shown flashes of being great. It's just, can we get past more than just flashes i think that's the real question going forward he's not a guy that comes with no risk well i think part of the reason we've only, we've seen the flashes from him is because he's also been injured a lot that was kind of the reason what happened or that's what happened to him in miami uh you know a lot of people forget or i don't know if they forget but a lot of people may not remember that when jay ajayi was the guy there and then he got traded to philadelphia it wasn't Kenyon drake that was the starting running back it was damian williams and he had a couple good games and then got hurt and then we saw Kenyon drake come on and that's when he got all the pub and and, and the love that he got because he ended up winning people their fantasy leagues because he was so good they didn't put Damian Williams back in. Uh, so I don't know if it's the it, – maybe we're seeing flashes of him because he just can't stay healthy. So if they don't draft a running back, do you guys have any – I shouldn't say – do you guys have any interest in Darwin Thompson at all? Because obviously, as, as Dennis, you just mentioned, they were playing him a little bit in that game. Uh, Darrell, Darrell Williams is signed through next year as well. He he has a $600,000 cap hit, so I can't imagine they're going to cut him. Uh, but he is signed <laughs> under contract for the 2020 season. LaShawn McCoy, uh, congratulations to him. He gets his Super Bowl ring. I highly doubt he's back with the team next year. So you likely have some kind of committee with Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson. Uh, you know, if you had to pick now, who are you leaning toward? Oh, Damian. Yeah, Damian for me too. But I in a in a lot of the places in Dynasty where I have Damian Williams, I tried to get Darwin Thompson. To back um, him up? Yeah, or to hedge bets. I felt fortunate when my one league that I had Damian Williams in folded. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best way to look at it. I don't mean any disrespect toward Mr. Williams. Uh, something we forgot to touch on uh, Thursday and Friday's podcast, and I apologize about that, was uh, it came out early Thursday morning, I believe. The Sammy Watkins news. Did either of you guys see this, that he's he's threatening to kind of sit out all of next year? Uh, which is kind of an interesting flex because I would say he's probably the fourth best receiving option on that team. I take Hill, Kelsey, and Hardman over him, uh, and he's not guaranteed anything this year. So if he sits out, he would literally not get paid anything. He doesn't have any guarantees in his contract for this year. Uh, your thoughts on Watkins and, and your thoughts on why he would want to hold out for the 2020 season? I think that quote was a little overblown based on what he said. He was more like open-ended, like he wasn't sure if he didn't get re-signed with Kansas City or wasn't going to be with Kansas City. Maybe he'd want to take a year off to recover and weigh his options because he'd be so excited. I mean, I don't know how seriously I take that. One could argue he sat out a number of seasons for both the Chiefs and the Bills. I mean, and how much money has he already made, too? Uh, a ton. To get it to come up here. A lot. So it's not, like, lot. It's, it's not like he's hurting for cash if he manages money fairly decently. But he, even this year, I mean, his base salary was thirteen seven with a $7 million signing bonus. So he made 14 or $15 million, or excuse me, $21 million this year so. Let's see, career earnings, we're looking, he's made $54 million so far. Mm -hmm. So, 
I, I feel like there are times when some some of these, and especially now as we're moving forward and we see players uh, retiring uh, earlier because of health issues and starting to get involved with uh, extracurricular activities. You know, Sammy has never been one that's been very open about uh, it, political stuff or or health stuff other other than what we see. But he's made a lot of money, and he could go off and ride off into the sunset and live a good life. And play, more and more players nowadays, I think, are planning for life after football. You know, we see it here in Columbus. Eddie George, after he finished up his professional career, he came back to Ohio State and got his master's. And opened up a landscape construction company, he majored in landscape architecture, got his master's degree, I believe, opened up a company. He went on and did Broadway. He does TV. He has all these different things going on. And I think a lot more players are starting to look at what does life look like after football? And if I got 54 million in my pocket, do I need to keep playing? Yeah, being competitive is great. But I don't think anybody out there is going to tell us that, you know, Donald Trump isn't competitive and he's never played a down of football or any other sport, uh, you know, since you know way back in college. There are so many people now that look at business as the way to compete and more and more people are getting into it. You know, Jay-Z is super competitive with his clothing brands and music. So all of these things, people are starting to look at what does it look like for me outside of football so to hear Sammy Watkins, who's done really well for himself, uh, making money on the field, whether we feel he's earned it or not, I think he's likely in a position if he decided he was done, then he'd be in okay shape. All right. I mean, I, I didn't really think about it that way, but that would be an interesting way for him to go about it. The last report that I saw that the Chiefs said that they would uh, be more the like more likely to cut or uh, trade him than extend him. So I do think his time in in KC is done. Uh, I mean, outside of that, I, I don't have much else on the Kansas City Chiefs. Either one of you want to say or, or talk about anything Kansas City Chiefs wise. Well, it must be me, Cole Hardman, season if they're going to let Sammy Watkins go. And my only concern with Hardman is that he, his skill set is so similar to Tyreek. So, you know, uh, Rob, Demarcus Robinson is a free agent as well, and, and they're going to need to offset something there. You know, have somebody more complimentary than similar. Uh, if Watkins does go and Robinson does go, do they have that guy on the team, or are they going to need to go get it? Yeah, I, I would be surprised if they let both Robinson and Watkins go. I would think you probably end up keeping Robinson because he's going to be cheaper. Uh, I mean, Watkins, if, if they have him under contract, but I think he's like thirteen thousand. Mm-hmm. I, I close out of his contract, but I want to say it was yeah. right around thirteen thousand. So yeah, I mean, you, fourteen. But there's a reason. There's a reason Robinson is cheaper. Oh, I agree. Well, <laughs> I mean. 
Look, I know you're a Sammy Watkins truther, but that dude has done nothing in two seasons. So, I mean, outside of, like, popping up here and there, I was surprised he still played with the Chiefs when he caught— I didn't even realize he was still on the field. I thought he may have been an inactive like Dante Pettis until he caught a ball. So, I mean, you can you know, say what you want. that was how he got open. The uh, 49ers forgot he played for them, too. Yeah, I would not be surprising. When, as soon as he, Richard Sherman and Robert Salah were like, who the hell is that guy running down the field? We didn't even realize he was <laughs> yeah. still here. So, you know, that's got to be— uh, you gotta wonder how close Richard Sherman is to the end. When he he got torched a few times yesterday. Good. Sorry, yeah, it wasn't, I'm not a fan. He shouldn't have been Sherman. out there one on one with Tyreek Hill. I no, mean, he's well, the best. He, he wasn't able to go one on one with 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 uh, Watkins either. Martin, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, look, look. No, if you ask I mean, Richard Sherman, he's the best cornerback in the league. I so. saw Hill out there lined up on on uh, Sherman. I can't believe that he only caught nine passes. <laughs> My favorite was uh, the safety who dislocated his shoulder hitting Patrick Mahomes somehow ended up one-on-one with oh, uh, Tyree Kill on that giant play. I was like, um, you guys realize that this is a mistake, right? There was nobody covering Tyree Kill on that play. No, yeah, no. There was he would, he had a better chance of uh, a, of just a, a giant hole opening up in the earth and swallowing him than someone actually covering him. Uh, real quick before that Matt, an ideal. Uh, since you are not a part of this draft, you're going to be in the the offensive one with me. I want to I want you to get your get your opinions on our two teams uh, where we're at in the draft. But real quick, uh, did you guys have a favorite commercial at all? Like one that really kind of stuck out to you? Yes, no, and then we'll talk about the teams. No. I loved uh, a couple of them. Um, they were both chip commercials. Uh, first was the Cool Ranch Dorito face-off between Little Nas X and Sam Elliott. Yeah, that was, was uh, that was hilarious. Um, I thought that was more entertaining than the halftime show. Uh, but the other one I liked was uh, the Cheetos popcorn, uh, where they had MC Hammer come up. And first, the idea that you could just eat Cheetos and get out of like extra work assignments or any chores, but then the you can't touch this, and uh, that that made me chuckle. Those two uh, got to me. So, in fairness to the halftime show, your eyes were covered through most of it, so you did not get to see some of the the good stuff. I'll put it that way. Uh, for me, well, when you're at a church party, that's true, uh, and very true, and people come on wearing next to nothing, um, it definitely doesn't mesh with the vibe. I can understand that. Uh, so, I like the little nice one as well. Um, one of the underrated ones I thought was the the Reese's Five. I think is what it was. Uh, mostly just because of the the very end where they didn't say it, but they were talking about you know kind of like clueless people and all that, and they talk about the dude with a with a head up his ass, and it was actually a dude with a head up his ass. I uh, thought that was actually kind of funny, uh, and I really actually liked the. Uh, the NFL 100 one, the very first one they kicked off with all the kids and everything, and, and then he actually got to run the ball out on the field uh, live. I thought that was pretty cool, so I really like that one as well. All right, so uh, let's let's talk about our teams here really quick before we close out the podcast and, and move on to the 2020 season here. Dennis, since you picked first, I'll let you just give a rundown of your team really quick. You were in the three spot, so give uh, give Matt a rundown of your team really quick. Well, I, I want to preface this by saying I hate being – I've grown to dislike being on that end of the draft. Uh, I used to love the middle, and then I've grown to like the back end of the I, – I, I'm kind of a, a 9 through 12 guy anymore, I think, 8 through 12 guy. 
But uh, I picked from the 103 and uh, have been unsuccessful making any trades in this this league. Uh, nobody, everybody wants to trade back, so no, there nobody can get any trades done. Uh, I started off with Saquon Barkley. It went Mahomes, McCaffrey, and then I took Barkley. Uh, 210, I took Kenny Galladay. 33, Travis Kelsey. 410, Keenan Allen. Then I went back-to-back quarterbacks uh, with Sam Darnold and Drew Locke. 7-3, I grabbed David Montgomery as my RB2. Uh, at the 8-10, I grabbed my first draft pick, which was the 112. And then at 9-3, I added Robert Woods as my wide receiver three. And just to, to give a preface, this is a super flex and three flex spots as well. So four total flex spots if you don't use the super flex spot. I was uh, in the 11 spot, so I went to Nick Chubb with my first pick, took Devontae Adams with my second at 3 uh, 3-11, I went and took my first quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Uh, then I took my first rookie pick, which was 1.3. Uh, I went DJ Chark and then Terry McLaurin on my next two picks. I think it was, yeah, 1.3. I was trying to double-check that. So at uh, 5-11, Chark, and then... Uh, 6-2, Terry McLaurin at 7-11. I went Phillip Lindsay at 8-2. I took my next rookie pick, which was 1.7. 1. Yes, no, 1.9. My goodness. Uh, then I went no offense. I'm really buying in on this uh, Broncos offense here. And then I went uh, another rookie pick again there to finish up with 112. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was really kind of pissed that you took Drew Locke because I was, I was hoping to pair him uh, with, with Baker. I was hoping he'd fall. I'm... I'm at this point, hoping to grab a quarterback in the rookie draft because I, I we we did have a a team in this league that I believe with their first five picks took quarterbacks or something like that. Like it, it's been a holy cow. Yeah, let me see. I was trying to pull it up. So he went Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray rookie pick, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers rookie pick. So he's he went all in on the the super flex strategy to to say the least. So what what are your thoughts so far on our two teams, Matt? Um. They both, uh, I think, are interesting and have uh, some good qualities. I like, actually, uh, Dennis going with uh, Darnold and Locke because there are a couple of guys I think are a little underrated right now who have a chance to turn the corner. The only thing that scares me about Darnold is uh, that he's still relying on Adam Gase. Um, but I'm I'm very excited. Obviously, watched a lot of Drew Locke. I understand why you would have uh, gone for him too, Matt. I I loved what I saw in the five game sample. Uh, I thought he did some really good things, and I think Denver's built some really good young offensive weapons around him. So there's a lot of potential there. Um, Dennis obviously got some good receivers in there too. I think uh, it'll be interesting. I'm assuming these draft picks. You're talking about the 2020 rookie draft. Yes, yeah, yeah. We 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 did not think it'd be fair to do like the whole inverse draft uh, thing that a lot of people do because I felt like uh, 11 and 12 where I was picking, so we probably should have went with it. Got kind of an unfair advantage. I would get you know two of the top probably 15 players, and then I would also get the second rookie pick overall. So we decided to to yeah. put the rookie picks into the draft so you can decide how you want to do your drafts. Uh, you know, for instance, I'll just give yeah. my my uh, my strategy on it, Dennis. If you've got, uh, you can throw yours in there. Why I went rookie pick at four two was because I was getting a top three rookie pick, and at the time there was no real running backs on the board that I liked. 
you know, the next guys to go were James Conner, Austin Eckler. Uh, I would have taken Devin Singletary, but he went to pick before me. Uh, and then on Johnson. They were all kind of like the top running backs on the board, so I figured I'm going to likely at 1-3 get either Swift, Dobbins, or Akers, or Taylor. One of the four guys that I think all of them have shots to be really good running backs, so I thought at that point in time, why not take a guy who I think yeah. has a shot to be a really good running back with that with that rookie pick there. Well, it kind of strikes me as the difference between your squads is Dennis has some more proven veteran commodities at this point in time, and you have a group of uh, younger players plus a lot of picks. So your team may, you know, depending on how it all shakes out, not be the greatest team year one, but have a lot of potential going forward. Yeah, I definitely feel I'm going to need to get some youth at tight end. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I feel like Kelsey's still got a few years, but you, yes. you never know uh, when you get up there in your 30s, uh, you start to go to hell. Keenan's got some uh, – Keenan has some uh, uncertainty at the quarterback situation. Uh, I, I agree with you about Darnold being saddled with Gase, but he did play pretty well. He looked – other yeah. than his seeing ghost games, which, you know, that New England defense – Gave a lot of people fits, not just Sam Darnold last year. Uh, well, I actually really like Darnold, and I have him as a quarterback prospect in three dynasty leagues. Two of them are super flex leagues that I got for the for the same reason. I, I'm hopeful. Well, I, I had hoped, actually, I, I was had my eye on Darius Geis coming back in the eighth round, and he went the pick before me. So that's why I decided to go with the rookie pick. My thought, I love the rookie class, but I'm, I'm more of a, it, it, I was, I, I would rather have the proven players and the rookie picks were going fairly quickly. And so where I was picking, I, I just didn't see the value of those guys over somebody like Kenny Galladay or Keenan Allen or Travis Kelsey. Uh, admittedly, maybe over Darnold and Locke. But I really like, you know, if if they hit, if they if they continue to grow, I could be set at quarterback in this league for the next ten years. I think the tough thing for me right now with when you're talking about rookie picks is, it feels like this is the time of year where those picks are have their all time highest potential value because you know how good the potential is for the prospects coming out and what changes to me some between now and when you actually start drafting is the NFL draft and seeing where they go and the situations. Cause you know, I heard an interesting piece talking about Patrick Mahomes that there were a lot of places he could have ended up, but would he be what he is right now if he didn't go to a team that was also good at developing quarterbacks, you know, is the difference between him and Trubisky totally just talent and ability, or is it also, system and who they're developing with and i think that's an interesting thing when you think about a lot of these you know draft picks they're gonna it seems like inevitably in every rookie draft you get excited and there's at least half of the first round that doesn't turn out the way you're expecting well, the one thing i'll say that the rookie picks could end up gaining more value though too especially 
I get where you're saying on some of those, and Patrick Mahomes I don't, was not really that highly touted of a prospect coming out either. Like, I remember when, because I think he even got drafted before Watson, and, like, Watson was the guy. Watson was the quarterback everybody was talking about. Mitch Trubisky had, like, he had the question marks, obviously, because he only had the one year of, of play at the time, but a lot of people liked what they saw out of him at the Senior Bowl and, and like what they had seen in the limited sample size and thought he could be something. Uh, where I did not see a lot of people talking about Patrick Mahomes. So when that when that happened and the, the Chiefs took him, it was kind of a surprise by everybody. Clearly, they knew what they were getting, and a lot of us clearly missed on that. Uh, the one thing I'll say on, on, uh, on the rookie picks, though, with them, they could gain more value as well with the fact that we could see some of those guys. Like I said, I I get what you're saying on those, and that's why I'm trying not to go too deep in. I wanted to get try and get three first-round picks because I do think yeah. that this class is going to be so deep in the fact that you could get first-round talent in the second round of rookie draft. So that's what I got. I got three first-round picks, and I don't think, in my opinion, that I've hurt the depth of my team that much either because, again, I got you know Chubb is my RB1. Lindsey is an RB2 who, who can play as an RB1, so I don't mind that yeah. at all and getting him as my RB2. And then I think I've got, again, Charkin, and McLaurin are, are somewhat unproven in the fact they've only had one year of, of proven, uh, I guess, ability here. McLaurin is rookie season, Chark his second year, but both were good players, but they're still my two and three with Adams as my one. So I like that altogether. Now, it being a super flex and only having one quarterback is where it's going to hurt me. And again, I, I had wanted Locke. I would hope he'd come back to me, and then Dennis unfortunately took him in that sixth round uh, where I was hoping to take him, so that's why I ended up going McLaurin. Because I just don't love, I mean, like I said, it, you know, Maybe you can just go and grab uh, Nick Foles and go all in on DJ Shark. I mean, Foles is still on the board, but I have a feeling Minshew's going to be the guy. There's a there's two quarterbacks left right now that I think are or technically there's three starters left. Uh, you know, I'm not really loving any of them. I could take a shot on Teddy maybe uh, if I do think he. I don't know if yeah. he's going to be the guy there. Someone already actually took Taysom Hill, so they bought all into the he's going to be the starter that was a crazy of the uh, pick. I thought. Oh, I'm right there with you. He went at 7-1. 7-1 Taysom Hill went. Uh, you know, Gardner Minshew, uh, Jameis Winston, uh, I think those are the only two. Tom Brady, Cam Newton, Derek Carr all went after him. So, yeah, I'm with you. I thought that was a little bit of a reach uh, on the hill. There's actually one quarterback I can't say uh, because I think Dennis gets to pick twice before it gets back to me, so I'm not going to say it now. Uh, there's one quarterback that if he's still there – I'm going to be loving my life if I can get that guy when he comes back to me. But we'll see what happens. Like I said, we've got a, we've got one guy in here who who literally owns four or five quarterbacks. So I would not be surprised if he takes another one here and then tries to trade him. But, I, I mean, like I said, I, I like my team outside of not having another quarterback at the moment. And not loving Baker being my, my QB1, but, I mean, Baker's my guy. And I had to take him because I knew he wasn't going to get back to me. Well, you should be able to get well, Justin have- Herbert with that first pick. Get who? Yeah, Justin uh, Herbert, your man crush. Oh God, I would love. No, I'm, I'm gonna go a running back. I just gotta hope Dob or I gotta hope Herbert falls to me later, or I use those two picks well, and trade up. The way it's uh, tracking right now, Justin Herbert might have a big impact on uh, Keenan Allen and Dennis because it sounds like uh, a lot of people think he's gonna end up with the Chargers. Oh, that'd be such a good fit for him too. Oh, I love it. I love it. I just wrote that profile on Herbert. Uh, I think it came out last week, and that's the spot that I thought he'd go to, and I think that'd be a great landing spot for him. Yeah, he, we were talking about him today when the round, first round of the Superflex mock released on Dynasty Nerds, and you took Herbert 
the 103. Well, it was a super flex draft. You got to, man. You got to. You got to go all <laughs> quarterbacks. It just it is what it is. Tua, I mean, I would have taken him over Tua anyways, as, as we all know, my love for Herbert knows no bounds. Uh, but the fact that he fell to me at three was just, it's a match made in heaven. We're going to be best friends soon. Uh, I'm going to get remarried just so he can come be the best man at my wedding, actually. So I, I'm just, he, he's a great guy. You mean, uh, you mean a vow renewal, right? Because I don't want this to end your... Ah, oh, she doesn't listen to this anyways. She 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 could care she could not care anything about this to be honest with you. So she's not listening. Of course I say that and I'm going to get slapped awake this morning when she, in the morning when she comes home cuz she decided to listen to this episode. Uh but anyways, let's uh, let's end it there before I get myself in any more trouble because my I love you, Paula, if you listen. Much love. Your love of my life. I'm just kidding. Matt was right. Re- vowel or whatever whatever he said. That's what I meant. I am so lucky my wife won't listen. <laughs> I appreciate you guys jumping on with me today. Uh, obviously enjoyed the Super Bowl. I'm really looking forward to the next couple months as we're really going to dive into now. 2020 It's going to be interesting now as well, having you on, Matt, and, and Tony throughout the offseason as well, not just me and uh, me and Dennis because uh, we seem to agree a lot last year on some of the prospects and everything. So it would be interesting to see if we can get some uh, uh, a little bit more arguments going throughout the offseason. But I'm looking forward to talking to you guys uh, later on in the week. Enjoy yourselves, and I will talk to you guys soon. Right on. Have a great week. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. If you got your popcorn ready. I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Only tackle him at the 40-yard line. Who can make a play?